0: Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Today we celebrate the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul. It's appropriate that this feast would take place during the Epiphany season. Over the past few weeks, we've talked about how Epiphany Tide is a time where we focus on Christ as a light to the world, a light to the Gentiles. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. The feast, as I mentioned, is this upcoming Thursday, but we move it to Sunday because St. Paul is our patron saint here at St. Paul's, and we think that it's worth celebrating. I want to focus today not so much on Paul's ministry, but on the conversion process that was detailed in the reading from Acts chapter 9 today. Conversion is one of those words that we use a lot. I teach a formal logic class for homeschool students during the week, and there's a a logical process where you can convert a statement, which is where you flip the subject and the predicate of a statement. So if P, then Q, converted becomes if Q, then P. If it rains, then the home team will win, becomes if the home team wins, then it must be raining. In religious or theological talk, conversion refers to a life that dramatically changes to something completely opposite of what it was. We see a number of conversions throughout the holy scriptures. The book of Jonah, the prophet goes to the people of Assyria who had been enemies of the people of God, rather savage ones at that, and he reluctantly preaches after being swallowed by the whale and spit up on the shore. And we get a picture of the people in Assyria converting in mass. So much so they tear their clothes, they pour on their own heads uh, uh, sackcloth or ashes, and they they even dress their animals up in sackcloth and put ashes on them. In the Gospels, we have the woman at the well who Jesus meets. And he identifies that she is not living in a way that is conducive to human flourishing. He says, you've had four husbands and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. But from that encounter, the idea is that she goes forth a changed person, a new person. She goes back to her town and she tells all the people there about Jesus. We can think of Zacchaeus, the tax collector who has a conversion. He's up in the tree watching Jesus. And of course, unlike today in the ancient world, tax collectors were not well-liked people. (laughs) And what would happen was the Romans might say, well, the tax rate is 18%, and to get paid, the tax collectors would inflate the number. So they'll come by your house and say, okay, you owe 19.5%, and the 1.5% they would keep for themselves. Zacchaeus meets Jesus. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house today, Zacchaeus. And that encounter changes him so much that he totally takes a 180 I've got to get rid of all this money that I took from the poor and from people who, where I didn't make it fairly. So he goes and he gives the money back. It's a complete reversal. But perhaps the most well-known conversion in all of scripture is the one that we read this morning, St. Paul, who becomes really the model of conversion. St. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had an impressive educational pedigree in the Jewish circles of his day. He seems very cosmopolitan, very well read, very well learned. And in his mind, at least initially, Christianity was a Jewish heresy. Remember, Saul, as he was called at the time, was one of those who was present at the stoning of St. Stephen. He actually held the coats of all the men who threw the stones. And so in our reading today, Saul goes out, he's commissioned by the high priest in Jerusalem to round up those who are in their minds apostate Jews who belong to this new sect of Christianity. And the idea was to bring them back to Jerusalem so that they could be disciplined. Of course, this is not what happens in the story. Saul has this experience on the road. He's knocked off his horse when he sees a great light. And he has this conversation with Jesus, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And so Paul arrives in Damascus, not as a proud agent of his religion, who's looking for people to round up and deport back to Jerusalem, but he's a man who's in need. He's a man who's been blinded by the light. His external condition matches his internal disposition. He's blind. He can't see. But after three days with Ananias, three days of fasting, those scales fall from his eyes. He's converted. He becomes baptized. He spends time with the Christians in Damascus, the same people he came to round up. He starts preaching the gospel of Christ to the Jews in the synagogue, which amazes those who hear him because they remember how severely he persecuted the church, how opposed he was to Christianity. And now they see him becoming one of its greatest apostles. So I want us to think about conversion today. What is it that makes a person convert? What is it that flips them from going one direction in life to moving in entirely different direction? We all maybe have people in our lives who we'd really love to see do this and we try everything we can in our power to get them to and it never seems to work out. For St. Paul, it was not a series of arguments. It was not watching the right YouTube videos. It was not that he stepped back and rationally assessed the various options available to him and he thought, well, Christianity seems the most reasonable or the most politically expedient. In fact, it was quite the opposite, probably on both counts. What caused St. Paul to convert was an encounter that he had with the living God that knocked him off his horse. And so in this way, we might think of conversion as an event. It's something that happened to Paul, and after that, he could never be the same. So the driving force behind this dramatic change is encounter with God. But I think we should also see that conversion is more than just an event. It is certainly an initial event, but it begins a process of conversion. Paul, from the road, obeys God. He goes to Damascus. He stays with Ananias. He gets baptized. He gets taught by the local Christians. St. Paul had to put in a lot of work. He had to cooperate with God to become who he was called to be. That initial experience was certainly necessary. We might say it was a catalyst. It's the first movement in a new direction, but there's a long way to go beyond that. The event begins the long journey. And so conversion must be a continual process in which the person who converts reconciles everything about who they are, what they do, and how they think to what happened to them. They're making sense of light in light of this new event. But finally, we should remark about conversion that it is not a private event. There's no such thing as a private conversion. Not if it's real anyways. Real conversion changes a person so dramatically that even if you don't narrate that experience to others, they can see it in how you act. You're totally different. When Saul goes to the synagogues and begins teaching, they say something is really different about the way that this Saul guy teaches than the way he used to. Paul goes from hating this Christian sect to now he's the spokesman for them. So we might say that conversion is a kind of missional invitation to others. In experiencing this earth-shattering and life-altering event, the converted person can't help but invite others to experience the same kind of thing. And of course, it's often the case that when we invite others into this experience of God, that they don't want to accept the invitation. And that's okay. We can't control that. What we can't let it do is let their rejection somehow uh, shade our experience with the divine. In fact, St. Paul is a model in this way. He met with serious rejection, with serious trials, with serious tribulations and barriers, and yet he continued on as Christ's faithful soldier, preaching the gospel, pouring himself out for the church. We have that great list in 2 Corinthians 11 where he's establishing his credibility, and he lists all the rejections and all the things that he went through. He says, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft, of the Jews five times received I 40 stripes minus one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. And journeyings often in perils of waters and perils of robbers and perils by my own countrymen and perils by the heathen and perils in the city and perils in wilderness and perils in the sea and perils among false brethren in weariness and painfulness in watchings often in hunger and thirst in fastings often in cold and nakedness besides those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily the care of all the churches. That's dedication to a mission. How much was this experience real to St. Paul that he was willing to endure every single item on that list? How many items on that list would we endure? The person who experiences a profound conversion cannot help, cannot keep it in. They cannot help but pronounce it. They cannot help tell people about it, whether it's through their words or through their actions. This life changing experience must be shared. And so, here at St. Paul's, it's fitting that St. Paul should become a template for us. We should understand conversion as encounter. It's pro- probable that many of us, especially those of us who have been raised in the church, have never had such a dramatic experience as St. Paul has. I have never been blinded, and I've never been knocked off a horse but God faithfully encounters each and every one of us. Often, probably more often than we're aware. He encounters us in our baptisms. He encounters us in the preached gospel. He encounters us in the sacraments. He encounters us in the scriptures. He encounters us in prayers. He encounters us in others. And there are many other ways that he can encounter us. And just like Jacob in the book of Genesis, when he encounters God and he wrestles with him, He leaves with a limp. And so we cannot leave our encounters with God unchanged. Encounters with God become impetus and impetus for change. And so we have to go through the process of being continually converted. It happened, and it's continuing to happen. Because all of us probably agree with the words of the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed. All of us might enjoy hearing the reading of scriptures and the various prayers and the way the Book of Common Prayer beautifully arranges those things. And still, we might go about with our internal dispositions unchanged. We too often allow ourselves to be distracted from our calling, distracted from those, those events of conversion by worldly cares and concerns, the accumulation of wealth, political power, social popularity. And so we have to do that work of constantly turning On Ash Wednesday, we'll pray the penitential office at the beginning of the service. And one of the prayers that I love in that says, Turn us again, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Turn us again, O Lord, and we shall be turned. And as we're making this turn towards God, as we continue the conversion process, we have to invite others to encounter the living God. The opening chapter of John's gospel, some men who eventually become apostles of Jesus come to him and they say, where do you live? Where do you stay? And instead of giving them an answer, instead of trying to convince them that it's a good idea to follow him, Jesus just says two simple, three simple words, come and see, come and see. That's the invitation Jesus extends to his disciples. That's the same kind of invitation that we should be extending to others. It's not so much about the theological debates, or the arguing them into the faith. There's room for that. We have to have theological language. But all of it really comes down to that simple invitation. Come and see. And then we let God do the rest. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.